Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Hey, y'all. It's Josh Benson with There's No Business Like. I'm here with my friends, Brian. Hey, Brian Zelmer from KU Presents. Danielle. Hey, it's Danielle Van Hook from the Alden in McLean, Virginia. Kevin. Kevin Maynard, Executive Director of Quad City Arts, splitting the border between Iowa and Illinois. Katie. Hey, 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 it's Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan. So to start today off, I want to ask you guys, has there ever been a time where you considered leaving the industry or getting out of the industry or thought that was an option for you? Yes. 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 And why? Family life balance, not seeing my children grow up, feeling unappreciated, burnout. There's probably a whole laundry list of other reasons. Yeah, I felt like I wasn't making any progress. I certainly have had moments where I'm going, what am I doing? Is this worth it? Like the work-life balance, the burnout, the time away from family and friends, wondering if you're making any difference whatsoever. But I also can't imagine doing anything else. Like I think actively think about what would I do if I wasn't doing this? And I can't come up with an answer. I guess this is my calling. Uh, This is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. But I certainly have had that moments in my 14 years in the industry where I've seriously considered just throwing in the towel for certain. Yeah, I was having a hard time um, towards the beginning of my career. I felt like I had been in sort of the the lower level, you know, of the ladder for a while. And I'd gotten promoted like a little bit. I I didn't think that there was going to be a lot more upward potential for me. And the problem I was having was finding a job in the middle. A lot of the jobs that I was seeing that I was maybe qualified for were just other assistant type jobs or other executive leadership type roles, which I knew um, would be an uphill battle. (laughs) You know, I, I didn't, I didn't see myself reflected in a lot of what was happening at the time and just uh, finding it really difficult to keep moving up and to keep gaining more experience to set me up for something else. And so in that in that middle time, I thought, well, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I've done it. There have been a few times in my career where I have thought about doing something different, like getting out of the industry. Um, there's something that is absolutely appealing about a traditional nine to five, um, you know, where I am not the boss, where I can just clock in and clock out, you know, and I think that there are, there are things that I've thought about that I could do that I'd be qualified to do that aren't in the industry, but whenever I start thinking about that, I realize that I wouldn't be happy outside of this industry. Like, yes, I might be able to clock in a nine, clock out of five, you know, have my evenings always free to do things. But then I think I would just end up going to the theater anyways, (laughs) or going to, you know, do arts things anyways. So, you know, why not use the skills that I have to create those opportunities in, in our community? But I think the interesting thing about that is, there are a lot of times when that happens where I start thinking that this is it, like I'm, I'm, I'm done with this, but then something happens like something, you know, a big show, a piece of public art or something comes together where I go, Oh yeah, this, this is why I do this. And it just reaffirms everything. Amen. Early in my career, I did leave the industry, not because I was burnt out at that time or had any problems with the, this industry in particular, I was just pursuing other passions and, and in doing so and having that time, I realized this is where I'm, my passions are centered here in the arts, in the arts industry. And 
So am I, do I still have days where I'm burned out or feel unappreciated or have any of these other issues, the family issues that, you know, that we talked about, not being there for family and friends because we have a show? Yes, of course. I mean, but then I also remind myself, it doesn't matter what industry and everyone has a good day or bad day. And I know that I'm in the place that I should be in. And I try to then focus when I'm having those moments on the positive things, the things that give me the fire. And then before I know it, I find myself in Fort Lauderdale with the four of you sillies, or I find myself, <laughs> you know, doing something that I really love to do or working with artists, you know, here that are visiting and that I, I just love their artwork and they, it transports me. I identify with what so many of you have said. And during the pandemic for me, I was being pursued by a national insurance company to open an office here in Marion. They were offering me twice what my current salary is. And that was really, really hard to not go for. But in the end, I, I, again, just like a lot of you have knew that I wouldn't be happy doing that. And I wouldn't feel like I was making a difference in our community in the same way that I am now. And so this all kind of leads into uh, a difficult time that our guest today, Cara Beach, who's at the Overture Center in Madison, Wisconsin, um, she had kind of in the middle of her career and take a listen and hear her story. I am Cara Beach, and I work at Overture Center in Madison. My title is Director of Broadway Engagement Program. Well, Cara, thank you for joining us today on There's No Business Life. Thanks for having me. So let's start, like, how did you first learn that you had a passion for the arts to begin with? Like, where did that start for you in your life? Well, that started for me, I mean, I love to sing ever since I was, like, really little. Always sang with my dad and did church choir. Love being in the choirs. Um, I was never, you know, leading gal material as far as that goes. I liked being in the ensemble. Did musicals through high school, and I was a gymnast for many, many years, so they, they loved me in the, the dance course. My first show, I got to be in the dance core with all these gals who had been tapping for you know, 10, 12 years. And here I've never put on tap shoes, but I'm with them and I'm doing that same choreography. So that that was always fun. I love a challenge. But all of my friends were on the tech crew. So I ended up getting a taste for the tech crew world early on when I was working in theater and kind of bridged over. And I mean, I, I learned that I liked directing when I was a senior in high school and directed a couple shows and tried to go to school for that while consistently getting pulled into ASM and stage managed different productions, not realizing that that was where my world would end up going. And kind of, I don't know if it was like I was in denial or what, but it was like I kept trying to go back to the directing and it was like, no, no, girl, like, really, you need to be over there calling the cues and helping run the show because <laughs> that's really where it, where it was. Was there a certain point in there where you realized where there was like an aha moment or a light bulb going off that you realized that this is what you want to do for a living? I don't think I ever really thought about like, you know, like I was going to school and I was like, I don't, I don't think I really thought through like how it was actually going to work, right? <laughs> like, I, don't, I was just like in the moment doing my thing, like, where's the next show that I'm going to work on, right? Like, it wasn't even so much as like, this is how I'm going to build my career. And I never really had any guidance that way, which is something that like, go to theater school if you're interested in theater, because if you go to non-theater schools, they don't really have that support. So nobody really talked to me about like, so here's how you need to make it in the business doing X, Y, Z, right? But I, I just had that natural drive of like, where's my next show that I'm working on? And had a lot of unpaid internships doing stuff for shows. <laughs> it wasn't really so much a, as a career choice as I just kind of kept finding different opportunities 
movies that kind of kept pulling me in. Like I, I was able to ASM for Madison Opera here in, in Madison for many, many years under some phenomenal stage managers. Um, I just, I'm so grateful for the, the the fact that I got to sit there and be a sponge and listen to them call the shows and see how they ran a rehearsal because I owe a lot of what I am today and how I run a show when I get to these days um, to learning from them and watching them keep their cool in the in the face of lots and lots of big opera personalities. From there then I ended up this was the one that was like the, here's the oddball right like I wasn't looking for a show to perform but I found one ended up performing in this show that was you know not very big but it was a physical performance so it suited my you know my gymnastics and dance background but it was done all in the dark so like my ensemble loving person was like um hey look they don't really see me but i get to do things talk a little bit more the show's done in the dark what what in the world does that mean <laughs> so the show the the basis of the show was the story of light and how we are all attracted to light done all in the dark we were in all velvet black velvet with like masks over our faces but we had props and other objects that either lit up on their own or were lit. Uh, one of the pieces that lots of people like to contract us out for was a, a big flag piece. And these flags were like, I'm stretching my arms out and nobody can see me. Um, they were like, I don't know, they were like eight feet, 10 feet, they were big. And we had also, you know, those were of course lit up by external theater you know, lighting equipment, but it was just these, these beautiful pieces. I enjoyed performing in it and ended up finding ways to stage manage and call the show while I was performing. Um, there are lots of interesting things from Radio Shack that we tried to like signal the light booth and it was a little chaotic and crazy. From that show though, like I, I gained a lot of confidence touring to different spaces because I was also kind of advancing the show which that's language I know now that I didn't know at that time. Like that's what I was doing. So I was working with the technical directors of the different theaters, telling them what we needed and help, hoping to get everything set up. I was also the prop manager at one point throughout the whole thing. So with a, with a show that has lots of things that need to be plugged in, you learn to ask questions like, if somebody turns this light switch off, is it going to un to cut the power to all of these plugs? Like the questions, <laughs> you know, so, so there's a lot of things that I learned from that and adapting a show to a, to different spaces, especially when you're running around in the dark, like, Hey, this, this column that's right here in the middle of the backstage area is going to be a problem that we're going to run into. <laughs> literally, literally, literally yeah. run into. Yeah. So, and, you know, dealing with shipping props and travel arrangements and like so many things. You said you toured. Were you touring regionally, nationally, internationally? What would what did that look like? So we started off more regionally. One of the first tours that I did was Shadana Shreveport. That was kind of a the first moment where I had, oh my God, I'm doing this and I'm getting paid for it. I wasn't getting paid that much. It was still something of the everybody who looked at me and my family was like, you're going to go to theater for school? Like, what are you going to do afterwards? And I, I didn't have an answer for them at that time, but now I kind of did. Like, this was like, oh, there I could do something. Toured some regionally, did a lot of colleges, some small towns in Texas. We were down in Southern Illinois at one point. And then we also did some corporate gigs. One of my favorite trips was to Rome, where we did this really cool, actually, that one wasn't corporate. That was a like a a festival that they do in Italy that celebrates the night. And so it was perfect, perfect fit for our show. And it was the craziest traveling to there, but one of the coolest experiences I've ever had, you know, getting there and, and be able to perform in, in Rome and then explore when we weren't on stage, just explore the city. Now, what's the experience at customs like with a bunch of random electronic <laughs> uh, light light driven props that, that the people at customs don't understand? What yeah, is that, what right, is that experience yeah. like? 
so thankfully I didn't tour with the show post nine 11. Let's just put it that way. But, um, we used to have, so I mean, hacking was tight, right. And we weren't fancy, didn't have fancy road boxes. In fact, some of our road boxes were made out of cardboard and lots of duct tape and prayers. So we had a lot of moments of like, we had to open them up all of our cases and then they would take stuff out and I would Tetris them back. And I would say, look at them literally and be like, I have to help you put this back together. And they were like, but you can't touch it. I'm like, when you're done, I have to put them back in because otherwise if you don't, they could break and then we're toast. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And actually that particular trip to Rome, we knew we were going to miss our connecting flight from Heathrow when we were in the air. And we had this big box that was like, I don't know, five feet by five feet. That was cardboard, one of our cardboard ones that held these really big hoops that lit up that were super great. They were awesome. Um, and wheeling that through Heathrow to get on the bus to go to Gatwick, um, the bus driver looks at me and he goes, I don't think that's going to fit. And I looked at him at that point and I was like, it's going to fit if I need to put it on the aisle in between the seats. Like it's getting on this bus. So it's, I never had anybody tell me we couldn't bring something on, which is good, but they always, they always looked and we knew it was going to take extra time because when we could, we, you know, would check stuff rather than shipping because sometimes shipping stuff, shipping causes some problems too sometimes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, that was fun. <laughs> you also had like a, a short residence in Vegas with the show as well. Yeah, we did have kind of a short residency in Vegas. We were basing the show out of there. So I moved out to Vegas. I lived there three months. We were trying to get a sit down gig at a casino is what we were trying to do. It didn't end up happening, but it was an interesting experience being out there and you know, training new cast members out there and um, kind of giving it a go from that way. So it's a different world out there, which is fun mm -hmm. and wild and crazy at the same time. <laughs> And, and I wouldn't be able to live there full time. So I was glad that it was like <laughs> only for a short snippet of time and it was tolerable. So how did you go from assistant stage manager, stage manager, touring artist to director of Broadway engagement programs? Sure. That's uh, um, well, I came home from Vegas because I had some I was disagreements in how to run things and decided that it was time for me to step away from the, the company and started working part-time for my dad at his insurance agency. So, you know, I might've cried a little bit the day that I picked up the, the studying books to take the insurance test to be able to sell insurance. I might've cried because I felt like I was taking a step back, you know, I had, had finally was doing what I wanted to do. And now I'm, you know, coming home and doing this. What was nice about working for my dad and part of the agreement that he made me was that when I wanted to go work a show or when I had an opportunity you know, in town, he would let me take time off to do that, which was like the best thing ever. And so I was able to come back and, and assistant stage manage for the opera again, which was really great and kind of get back to, oh yeah, this is how we call normal cues in a normal show. <laughs> It's not a random wrist movement while you're not asking. a random wrist movement that you gotta not do before. It, yeah, it's time. So I, I worked with them a little bit, and an opportunity came up. They the Madison Opera's got a really cool summer concert that they do called Opera in the Park, and it's hosted in this beautiful park on Madison's West Side that has kind of a natural or has a has a great hill that creates kind of this natural like almost amphitheater. Um, you know, they put the stage down at the bottom of the hill, and then people put their their blankets out, and it's it's a beautiful space for it. And they needed a a coordinator for it. And I don't remember how many years they had done it prior to my coming on. It, it wasn't that many, maybe, maybe three or four years before I came on and did it. So I inherited a binder that had emails back and forth to different people about how, you know, who they contacted for what. And I had to dig for all of the information to try and figure out who it was that we contacted for the stage, who it was that we contacted about water, because we have to sell 
you know, we have to have water and think drinks available because we're in the park. And so mining through all of that information was an interesting puzzle to put together. And for the record, this is not before spreadsheets existed. <laughs> oh yeah, no, spreadsheets existed then. <laughs> yeah, we're not that old. Yeah, so that was that was kind of fun. Whew, it was a lot. Uh, there's, you know, there's porta potties and the stage and the sound and the scaffolding with the banners with you know, for advertising so that they can support the, the, the program. There's, we always have an RV for the, for the performers so that they can have, you know, someplace to be a dressing room. Right. And uh, so it's a lot of, a lot of little pieces that need, need to be coordinated at the right time to make it happen. All pairing with the fact that it's an outdoor event. And at any point in time, you could have thunderstorms scheduled for two days and whole, whole things canceled. So it was a, it was fun to do. In that first year, I learned a lot about taking a large event and breaking it down to its smaller pieces. That's really how I approached it. And that's still how I approach everything that I work on today too. I always kind of look at it and I'm like, well, it's not opera in a park. It's not going to be 14,000 people in a park with all of these little elements that I need to bring in. We can do this. <laughs> and full transparency, that, that's an event that I came and worked with you on for years. Yep. It was a lot of fun, but I, there is a lot of work packed into just a few days in, in getting all of that arranged. Yeah. And a lot of it, you're trying to get people to donate things for free because, of course, we don't charge people to come to the park for it. So it's like, hey, could you donate 15 golf carts for us to use for the weekend and try not to break. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's a fun event. And um, I think we had a, just as much fun cleaning up the day after and going around and getting all the signs and picking up and doing the final thing as we did, a, you know, getting everything ready. So it was it's generally a fun event, a lot of stress. I feel like you're looking at me when you say try not to break the golf cart. Just a little bit, but there's <laughs> not a story behind that at all. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> <laughs> to, the, to the grave. We take that one to the grave. Um, yeah. And so from there, I got back involved in kind of choir and dad was singing in a, a local choir here in town, a festival choir, which is a fantastic choir. And they needed somebody to be on the board or they were looking for more board members. I guess not somebody, they were looking for more board members. And so I joined the board. Never been on a board before, but sure. And they ended up electing me like the chair of the board. And I'm like, I have never run a what are you doing? <laughs> I learned and they were supportive and helped kind of them plan things out and learned about what it means to be on a board and what a quorum is and how to call, you know, like all of those things that I had never done before. One of the fellow board members was one of the operations managers or directors. I can't remember what her title was at the time at Overture Center. And she mentioned to me, she says, hey, you know, we have this part-time position that's opening up at Overture Center. Would you be interested? And I said, well, yeah. And so she said, okay, well, here's, you know, here's Tim's number. You can, you know, give him a call. And I called him and went in for an interview and he offered me the job. At the time, Overture Center was city owned, kind of run by the city and a private entity, kind of a, a co-running thing. So I came in as a contract worker for the city of Madison getting paid less than what crossing guards get paid per hour. Um, I joke with my 12-year-old my as an umpire, and he gets paid like, you know, I get paid, I got paid less per hour when I started at Overture Center than he does for umping a game. So we, I joke about that with him. I'm like, yeah, you're making more at 12 than I did when I started at Overture. <laughs> and, and that's just the way the city, you know, the, the, way, the way it was with the city, right? That's kind of what it is. So I worked there for, I don't know, a year. And that's when Overture went through what, probably one of the biggest transitions of our history in that we went from a city-run organization to a private nonprofit. And it was a big transition, not all done gracefully, but all in all, it ended up being a great decision for the for the organization to be to be that way and to make that shift. And so I 
finally was hired because I was still part-time through all of this and finally kind of got hired and, and came in at, and ran our, uh, our onstage, which is our student uh, field trip matinee performances and was running that and really just said yes to whatever Tim needed me to do. My boss, Tim Sowers, who's our chief artistic experiences officer now. That sounds like a fabulous title. Uh, right. And I mean, it's just awesome. I can talk about it later too, but we've got a cool leadership team. We don't have a CEO. We have a leadership team. So that's pretty fun. They like to say that they are all CEOs and they are a CEO together. So it's, a, it's an interesting setup and new in this world, but it's working really well. So yeah, he came up to me and the first year that I was starting, the June, and uh, said, hey, what are you doing, you know, whatever weekend in June? And I said, what do you need me to do? And that's kind of what I tell people when they ask me, like, how did you get the job that you have today? I, was like, I, I kept saying, yeah, I ended up helping to work on the very first, um, it was the Tommy Awards at the time, which is our high school musical theater awards program, of which now there are many around the country. So we had, you know, 23 schools that were involved that first year and put on this show. One of the challenges that I was given was how to move the students from the house to the stage and back again. And so I got to kind of help design that. And we still, almost 15 years later, next year's going to be our 15th anniversary of that program. And we're going to, we use the same process. Kind of went from that to helping manage the Jerry. Uh, well, the, the Jerry's now, it was the Tommy's, but yeah. Throughout the whole process, kind of grew a friendship with my with my boss. He and I kind of have done some, some fun programs. One of them is, it started off as just Cocktails with Tim. And now it is Cocktails with Tim and Cara. And you both have cartoon personalities. We do have, as we well do have now. Oh, right. Yes, we do. We have cartoon personalities, which he says we need a rebrand because neither of us look like that. I'm like, no, it's just you, you're, you don't have as much hair. That's all that really changed. <laughs> that event, while it sounds really fun, I mean, it is really fun. We invite our Broadway Club subscribers, so our, our kind of top subscribers to our Broadway series. They come like a week or two before the show comes into town. We host two nights. We get them together to talk about the show. A lot of times we try to have special guests that are local that kind of connect to the themes of the show or something to do with the show in some way. We just have a fun night teaching them about Broadway, right? They learn, they know so much about what it means to tour Broadway, and they've really become kind of our advocates of when people ask that question of like, but why didn't we get XYZ show? Like they're, they know, cause we talk about it. We're very transparent about things and always have start every cocktails off with it. All right. So you saw Chicago. What did you think about it? And they know it's a safe space to tell us what they thought. And they know that we take their, their feedback um, into consideration when we're looking at, at different shows and, and it's a lot of fun. We've created some friendships with those that are there. We even go on trips. Like I took a, a group of 40 of them to New York City in April this year to see four shows and yeah yeah I've become a tour I've become a tour guide to like a travel agent with my job <laughs> that's awesome I love the the interaction with that and and how how much it gives those patrons a sense of ownership yeah. and a sense of involvement and that ties a lasting relationship to donors and to yeah. people who are really supporting what you're doing there well and it, you know it wasn't a, a direct intention of it but you know most many of them weren't donors when we first started this but they've become more closely connected with Overture and now are donors because they they believe in the program um, and what we're doing at Overture. One of the fun parts about the event is we have our, our Jerry Ensemble, so our, our auditioned high school ensemble, who perform songs from the show at, at you know, I don't know, two or three different songs from the show for them. So they get to hear that and see them perform. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's kind of the ritzy, fancy part of it, the director of Broadway engagement programs. Well, and there's something we talk about a lot on this podcast, that so much of this industry is really about relationships. And this is a, mm -hmm. a beautiful illustration of how building relationships 
with the patrons themselves has built into something completely different and meaningful for the organization. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everybody loves to have the in, the inside scoop, right? I mean, everybody likes to have that information. And so um, we try to do that. We try to share those things with them so they know. And that, that gives them that, that extra something, something when they watch it. One of them said to me once, so when Fiddler on the Roof, the, the more, more recent tour came through, we talked about the choreography, about how the choreography for this this revival that was done was the first time that new choreography has been done since the original because when you do fiddler you do the original that's what's in the contract like you need to do the original choreography and uh, we talked about it and how it was different and we talked about the style of this choreographer it was like it's it was incredible and somebody came up to us afterwards they said you know i might not have noticed it prior to coming to cocktails and hearing you talk about it but I'm so glad that you all mentioned it because I watched the show differently mm-hmm. and I noticed things that I don't know that I would have noticed otherwise. And, you know, I mean, like that's the pinnacle, right? Like, that's what we're really hoping to go for. Is there something like yeah. that in every show? No, but you know, when there is, we try to bring those things up so that they can enjoy it more, have a, have a, a deeper understanding or a deeper connection with the show. And so you're curating, not just a relationship, but you're also creating, curating and curating a more deep experience for those patrons granting an even deeper buy-in right exactly and i mean it's we don't look at it as we're trying to get something out of them by doing this right like it's it's we want to give them we want to give them something yeah exactly no like we want it we want them to have something to have more of a to have a greater experience is really what it is and that's kind of what we look for. We so I love that program. Yeah. Um, what other things do you head up uh, in your position? Sure. So like I said, that's the kind of the ritzy Broadway piece. I also work on what I call our like, you know, our smaller, smaller dollar musical theater, right? Obviously, I talked about the, the Jerry Awards, which is our high school musical theater awards program. And I still am managing and very involved in that one. It's the fun one that I get to stage manage every year, our three and a half hour long extravaganza show. And I also am the one that manages our Disney musicals in school program which is for elementary schools. So we thankful for the commitment of DTG, uh, Disney Theatrical Group, to help bring musical theater to urban elementary schools, where otherwise there weren't, wouldn't be opportunities to do that. And the program is really great. I love how it is, how it was developed, in that we aren't just sending teaching artists every year out to a, to a school to do a musical. We could, but the program itself is built so that the teaching artists come in from for the first year and they teach the teachers how to put on a musical. So sometimes the gym teacher ends up being the choreographer and third grade general arts teacher or general ed teacher ends up being the director, right? So you get people that maybe have connections to theater and art and sometimes they don't. And they're just interested in it. And these folks, God love them. They take on so much in like a 17 week rehearsal process. They in their first year, they learn how to put on a musical. You know, the TAs start leading it and then slowly the teachers take lead and they are the ones that, you know, choreograph the final numbers, direct the final scenes and our music directing and stage managing. And so that's, that's what I love about the program the most is that once those TAs are done in those 17 weeks, that musical theater tradition is going to live at that school. And those teachers are going to take pride in doing that. You know, they, they know their school best. So they're going to, they're going to be able to pick the right shows for their school and they're going to be able to connect with the right the right parents who have that building capabilities and or you know connections at, with that with sewing for costumes those types of things and so they then continue that tradition on after our teaching artists have gone out after the so that I love that program um, at the end of each year we you know like in May we bring all of the the schools that have participated in the program to Overture Center and they do student or each each school gets to do a, a number from their production that year on stage in our Capitol Theater, which is our 1100 seat theater 
And so they get to perform on stage at Overture Summit, which is really, really awesome. Wow. This year we had Lion King in our big hall at the same time when the student chair was. The woman playing Shenzi, uh, one of the hyenas, was, was our co-host for the welcome piece. And having her there was so amazing. And she was so wonderful. She was out in the house when the kids were coming in and high-fiving them. And, you know, these little Black girls were coming up and giving her hugs and high-fives. And that's something that is so impactful for them to to have her there and interacting and being so willing to like give them that hey go girl like you got this you know and so it was just it's one of my favorite days at work yeah I get to go see the big Broadway shows and they're in the house too right but those moments with those kids and their energy and their excitement and stars in their eyes is one of my favorite things. yeah how much of a crossover is there between director of Broadway engagement programs and the education and community engagement wing uh, overture because it, it sounds like with with both the Jimmys and um, the, the Disney and the schools Disney program yeah. um, that, that those are both educational elements. Oh yeah, I live more in the education area in our department. Um, it's only recently that I've more that I've taken on more of the Broadway, the big Broadway like tours and that type of responsibilities. Like now I, I do the I help out with the settlements for the big shows and um, figure out other engagement activities for the the patrons. So the the Broadway, the commercial, so to speak, side of my job has only recently, within the past two years, really come come about. Um, so no, the education area is really more, more where I live and where my heart is. So, yeah. I mean, in fact, right now I've been working for the past three years on getting a middle school program going to kind of bridge the gap between the two programs that we have, because a lot of these kids from the Disney program will get to a middle school and there's no musical theater. And then we lose them because there's just so many things that happen in middle school that solidify, you know, like, well, I am this kind of person, right? That, that when you get to high school, it's a little bit more difficult to change. So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely more solidly in our, I have more feet in the education side of our department than the. On the Broadway side of it, you talked about the settlements on a Broadway show. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that entails and what the contract structure looks like and how that plays into the settlement at the end? Whew. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I kind of had a little bit of an idea of it, of what went into it before I started doing this, just because I kind of help a little bit with Tim with the picks for what shows we want to come in. And we kind of look at like, what can we bring in? And how do we have balance? The, I mean, the contracts, honestly, are, are all many of them are the same. But then you get like the, the three week Lion King and the, the two week Wicked that kind of are monsters all on their own, right? And just how they're how they're structured. Um, but a lot of it, the nuts and bolts of it, right? It's 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 the business of doing Broadway is really what it is. Um, and partially because of that, I try to see the show earlier in the week before I have to settle it so that I don't have any of the, the money and the business side of it tainting my my artistic experience of the uh, and, and opinion of the show. Because it, it does, it gets down to the nuts and bolts of, you know, we're not, we're an IA house. And so we have the um, the IA stagehands and it's honestly, it's one of the best crews I've ever worked with. I knew that before I left on tour with uh, with the show that I, that I toured with and was only reinforced by the different crews that I encountered around the around the nation they you know there's organizing all of that and figuring out like how many hours of wardrobe work calls are considered work calls and how who's who's in charge of that is that is it included in the contract of the regular hours of the, the stagehands or does it go get separated out and go under work calls and is charged directly to the show so it's a matter of like it basically comes down to who's paying for what is the show paying for it directly are we all splitting it and how does that all get put together and, and all the different pieces now is the language in the contract always there and direct to where you can always just like reflect on it hey this one thing says this or is there a little bit of kind of gray area there that you kind of have to talk and figure out during the settlement? For the most part, they're all pretty much the same. Like, hey, here's the fixed package. This is where this, th this 
comes into play. This is where the marketing comes into play. Here's our ADA amounts that we are willing to pay for. So a lot of it's similar that way. And it's kind of a, some of it's just a like, okay, I know that I need to put this, 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 this into the folder to, and get it to the show so that they have the receipts and the invoices and the, you know, uh, the backup, I think is what they call it for those uh, bills. And then some of it like is a little bit more in depth of like, hey, what do you consider part of the fixed package? And do we need to, like is security now in there and we need to pull that out and we can't, you know, we aren't including that in a separate bill. So there is some, there is a lot of diving into the contract um, and those multi-week ones are are pretty intense um, because they're there for just such a long period of time and there's so many shows and there's dark days when they're not performing but we can't do anything with the theater and it's there's a lot of things involved that way but yeah it, it's it really is a you know you have to separate it out from the art and the show itself and realize like nope this is just the business this is the the the, the realities of what it costs to do a show on the road. You're talking about having the dark days in there. If the dark days are in there and you can't use the theater for anything, how is that settled? Typically what I've seen, and I've only seen a couple of them that way so far in my time doing this, but it's just a prorated amount of like, hey, we're, we're going to pay you a discounted, basically a rental rate for, for that day. Because um, it's the concession of like, hey, we know there's no in, there's no revenue coming in on that day because we're in there and we're not doing anything. And so it's kind of a, just a prorated rental for the most part. So in the final settlement on this, mm -hmm. you've got, say, two weeks of performance. Mm -hmm. You're settling out full load-in labor, mm -hmm. um, daily maintenance for costumes, mm -hmm. daily show run. And then you're also settling out, obviously, ticket sales and um, all the income that's come in on that as well and all that's displayed. Is this yep. all just like one giant intricate spreadsheet? Yeah. <laughs> very intricate in fact there's a couple of them like the the marketing spreadsheet is a, a spreadsheet on its own and i end up putting that into mine and i have multiple tabs with like crazy formulas that it's a good thing i love excel and formulas and all of that geeky stuff with excel because it's been fun to build that spreadsheet and with as my understanding of the the process has grown um but yeah it's a lot of things this points to this spreadsheet and this goes for this information goes from there so we try to pull it all into into i think there might be 10 tabs on the spreadsheet that i have the most fun one is is going through the the, um, the stagehand bill and trying to make sure that i have the right labor build to the right bucket because um, that gets complicated <laughs> it sounds like it yeah i mean and on top of that too then like sometimes there's an external room like one of our another room in our space that's rented out for them for rehearsal and so we'll have to negotiate the the rental rate for that for the time that they're in and have that on there as well so yeah and then that goes into the settlement as to how much they're getting paid out of the ticket revenue um and the split thereafter after a guarantee whether there's a guarantee or not. Oh yeah, there's always a guarantee. There's always a guarantee. Well, actually, well, there wasn't for for multi week sometimes, but um, but yeah, typically there's always a guarantee. Yeah. That sounds daunting. <laughs> and not only daunting, but it sounds. I mean, for me, that sounds not fulfilling in any way. It is when you can get like it's it's like a very complicated fun math problem. And for a while, I was like, because um, we we our Broadway partner at Overture Center is, is Broadway Across America, and so I work with them on the settlement as well. And for a while, I was like, okay, just send me what you have, and I will figure out how I make my numbers match, right? Like not not like I'm gonna cheat and like just take your numbers, but I'm gonna figure out where mine are so that I can make sure that I match, right? So for a while there, it was kind of like, an, okay, let me see the answer so that I can figure out how I get there. And that was probably the best way for me to learn how to do it. Now our, our CFO um, comes in and helps out too. So he's he's very helpful on a lot of the more accounting things where I'm like, he's like, so is that your understanding of it? I'm like, Chris, dude, that's an accounting thing. And I that is not where my understanding is at all. You want me to go out and speak in front of 200 people and talk about nothing without a script for a while? 
I can do that. Some of this accounting stuff, like mm -mm, on that level, that's you. <laughs> and see, you lost me at the phrase fun math problem. So <laughs> I would, I never would have thought like I, I was going to school because I, and I didn't think I had to take math in college because I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be in theater. So I'm not even going to have money to count. Right. Like, so yeah, this is, this was a big, a big step for me to get going on that, but it's been fun. It's, it's more of a puzzle for me at the way that I approach it of like, where do I find that number? And I think of it, I guess, less of a math problem than that. When and where did arts administration on this level come into your awareness as a potential path of employment or as a potential career path? Is that something that was on your radar or something that you kind of learned of the real existence of as you came into it? No, it was definitely as I came into it, right? Like arts administration was never a phrase that I ever heard until I was probably two years into my job at Overture Center, to be honest with you. Um, even though that's like, that's what I was doing. I approached and I approached my job as like, this is the like non-theatrical application of stage management skills, right? Yeah. Because I'm using all my same stage management skills, but now I'm administrating instead of managing, right? It definitely was like while I was doing the job that I realized that that's what it is. And, and now there's theater degrees. Now there's degrees at colleges for arts administration. And I'm like, really? Like, what do you do? <laughs> I'm so curious about these programs. Some of those programs have been in existence for a really long time. It's yeah. just the awareness of them that right. that has become more prevalent hopefully yeah oh absolutely yeah i think i think the high school programs around the country have, have done wonders for kind of kids going well i want your job right like yeah. i don't know if that i want to go into to perform i mean i enjoy it but i and i want to be around it but i don't i don't want to do that as my life because i you know and so a lot i've had so many kids like how do i do what you do so we we spend a lot of time with like well we get summer interns that are high schoolers a lot of times that are rising freshmen in college and, and they come in and they they do all the fun things and we try to help foster that and give them at least the awareness of like here's what's involved in this type of job and here's what here's what you could do. You know, it's, it's also so open, which is what I love about it is that like, how do you want to do it? What do you want to do? How many more, what more things can you think up? Right. We have a great department at Overture and a great team that is constantly thinking of like, Hey, our audiences would really appreciate that. Right? We don't ever do a new program because we think it would be fun. Granted, that's part of it, but it's always in, in response to kind of our audience or our community's needs. And so it's been fun to work with a team that thinks that up and what other job do you have in the business world or in administration even where you get to do those things and be creative that way? It's it's a great part of our position too, that it's constantly evolving. Or can be. Yeah. That high school intern program sounds like a great way of investing time into people that can be the future of our industry. Yep. Well, and we try to give them good projects to work on, right? I mean, we've all had that intern job where it's like, here's the copies, here, or now it's probably scanning, right? Or whatever. But we try to give them a good project to work on. One, pro one summer I had one of the kids who was very musically inclined. I said, here's the binder that I had from last year's Tommy Awards. Bunk. I mean, it's two binders, two of those big honking binders. Help me figure out a way to categorize and scan these in because I constantly am going, well, I know that I had a Shrek two years ago who did this number. Let me go see if I have the full number. We go back and look for that number to try and use it in, you know, years ahead. And he took it and organized it into a, a digital format and scanned it all in and made it all easy to find. And so it's those kinds of things that we try to find for them to do too, so that it is a quality experience where they get to take ownership and really run with something in a structured safe way. Right? Yeah. Not yeah. running with scissors, but running with a spreadsheet. Exactly. Yes. 
Yes, no running with scissors. Cara, thank you for joining us, kind of letting us into that world of Broadway engagement programs and how that enriches your series and enriches the experiences for the people. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Ben. Well, Josh, the first thing I have to say is I want a cartoon personality. Like I need a little (laughs) Katie avatar. Um, Thank you so much for having this conversation with Cara. It was so great to learn about her career path and the work that she's doing now um, in Madison. But I... Not all kidding aside, like I love this idea um, of the the cocktails with Tim and Cara, and really letting our patrons in behind the scenes and helping them understand the behind the scenes of our industry even more. I love that educational component, and I think it makes for better patrons of the arts. We're talking a lot of now about like education and how to engage people in different ways, and it seems like they were doing that pre-pandemic, um, engaging adults in learning in different ways. And I just really love that program. And I think I'm going to steal it um, and bring it, hopefully bring it to my venue at some point in time. So I loved learning about that in particular. And of course, all the education work she does, like, mm, wonderful. Love that programming that she's doing there in Madison. Yeah, that series is, is, is an incredible audience builder and honestly, like a, a donor and relationship builder. I mean, what a, honestly, it's just, it's just cool. Like, it sounds like something fun that you would go to and be like, and then start inviting your friends to attend as well. So yeah, Katie, I, I am looking for ways that I can incorporate that here. We don't do Broadway, but you know, I think that there's, there might be some fun avenue to play with that with. I really loved hearing about the Disney theatrical group programming, how they're working with people that have no experience in the theater whatsoever. And, you know, being a a rural presenter, I didn't even know that was happening. So that was really exciting to hear about. Yeah, the idea of a teaching artist in a school putting on like a first production or a production, I think is always sort of a wonderful thing to have happen. But the idea of it being one, a longer than one year program, um, but teaching a teacher in a school those skills that they need to put on a show doesn't mean that the next one they do on their own is going to be amazing or perfect. But like we all know what it's like when that spark is lit. And that's a tradition that's going to live on in that school or wherever that teacher maybe goes in the future as something that like that we all know that the arts do, which is like awesome social emotional learning, communication, you know, feeling so much better about yourself and teamwork and Um, All of these things that you can bring to a community that's just so enriching and wonderful. And I also loved how Cara was talking about filling the gap. She said she's been working for three years on building a middle school program to fill the gap between what they're doing with Disney in elementary schools and then their, you know, big high school awards program. And that is so key to longevity. And I think middle schoolers get left out of this equation all of the time. So I really love the intentionality behind that, the attention that she's paying to those sixth through eighth graders. And that consistency is going to serve not only their institution, but also those students so well moving forward. Especially too in middle school is really when a lot of students are finding who they are. And with a drop off in those kind of programs, um, you know, I'm seeing it now kind of from the pandemic, a lot of kids that were in that age group during the pandemic went more, I think, towards like visual arts and things like that. And there does seem like there's you know, can be a drop off if the arts program, especially the performing arts programs aren't as consistent in those middle grades, because it's just such an important time when you just develop who you are and who you are in in social situations. Um, And middle schoolers are really awesome. What she said about stage management skills being like so transferable into administration, 
Oh my God. It, that is like the gospel truth. Like we are basically stage managers on the admin side. Like it, it just makes so much sense. And I think stage managers make great administrators. Um, and I love that she's like training younger people in those skills as well. So talking about the internship programs and everything else, um, I think they have a really good handle on like how to bring up the next generation of performers as well as arts professionals. And arts patrons. Mm-hmm. And arts patrons. Man, triple threat right there. So another part of Cara's story that I related to was um, when she was talking about working um, in the park program and, you know, you're not charging people for tickets, um, your budget's pretty tight and you're just kind of trying to figure out where you're going to get all of these pieces. Um, and when she talked about um, calling up people and saying like, hey, can you donate us 15 golf carts, which is just such... I mean, that's just a sentence like you only say if you're working in like a nonprofit theater. And, you know, when I when I worked in community theater, I did that all the time. And, you know, I think like whenever we're talking about building arts administrators and what that training looks like, I feel like there's so much of it that comes from that like sort of scrappy we need to do this big thing, but we don't have a lot. And and the way that you sort of build and figure out where in the world you can get that support and you can find, um, you know, the answers to to your problems. And I feel like that really develops um, people into really good thinkers. I think that's really a theater background, having that scrappiness, because you're always you have to figure out how to put theater in any kind of space. And, you know, with whatever you have available, whatever you can borrow, beg, beg, borrow and steal. And and you find a way to put on a really great show with whatever you have. And whereas I see the difference now with the School of Music, it's like they're very classically trained, a lot of these artists that are coming up. And and in the classical world, it's it's about practice, 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 perfection, perfection, perfection. Everything has to be exactly the right way. You need this in this position for, you know, and it's just very different than than the theater background that I had, which um, I think you're right. That that helps you if you're going to be an administrator, you're able to find out and look at problems in a different way or see something that, oh, that's the that's the solution to my problem where someone else would be like, oh, that's just a whatever, you know, and you're like, no, that's that's what we need. That's I always tell people that that is my favorite thing about theater people is that theater people don't always they don't say no first. Mm-hmm. Um, their instant thing is like, how can we do this? Um, as like the inst- no, p- theater people never accept no. <laughs> yeah, it's like <laughs> we can figure this out. And nine times out of ten, the reason they have to say no is like, oh, it's a lot of money. Like, here's the solution, mm-hmm. but it's gonna cost mm-hmm. way too much. Well, I I mean I remember in in high school the we were doing Little Shop and the the director of the show wanted to have like vines come out all through the theater. And so we needed all this rope that we could paint green. And I was like, I think I know a barn out in the country that I can steal all that from. (laughs) And we had hundreds of feet of rope uh, arrive at the theater randomly. Um, and randomly it, the, it randomly and, uh, <laughs> randomly yeah. and, and, uh, it, and still to this day i'm like like at this point in my life i'm like i really stole a lot of shit <laughs> for that show but it was for art it's all alleged <laughs> allegedly <laughs> well thank you all for sitting down with us today thank you Kara, for your time we'll catch you next time here on there's no business like All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zellmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Vanhoek. 
views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? (laughs) I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslife.com. Do I sound out bus I-ness every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. It's Josh Benson here with a podcast that we do that's about some shit. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good. All right. Let's go on. Keep it going. It's perfect. Hey, I'm Kevin. Squatting the border between Rock Island and uh, Iowa. Squatting the border? (laughs) With my cool handlebar mustache. I like to imitate Josh. Hey, you guys know I like to run? (laughs) You guys ever run anywhere? For 100 miles? Especially with cheese in my shoes. (laughs) Hashtag something. That sounds like Kevin. It's not about you, Kevin. I don't think I need to introduce myself. This was perfect. <laughs> if I had a if I had a quarter or a half dollar, I would have just pulled that out to <laughs> That's show my you how much Kevin. I appreciate. I'm sorry. It better I'm be Kevin. I like to steal people's bits. <laughs> <laughs>